Hi, I'm uh, George Ogilvy, President and CEO with Arizona Sonora Copper Company. Uh, we have a former producing mine in Arizona in the US of A. Um, it's a copper company. We're currently listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under ticker, ticker symbol ASCU. And uh, we're currently conducting technical studies. And um, we believe in the next uh, couple of years, we can have the uh, Sackerton mine, cactus mine actually in commercial production. George, good to see you again. I haven't seen you since a, your last company where you did a bit of a turnaround exercise. What have you been brought on board to do here? Yeah, well, I came on board here uh, about 18 months ago and um, we're currently in the midst of conducting technical studies, uh, currently a pre-feasibility study. And the goal would be obviously to take the company through the bankable feasibility study and ultimately put this mine into uh, commercial production. It's a heat leach operation with a standard uh, SXEW plan. Okay, but give us, give us a sense of people's need, because like, we're new, new to this story, but you've been at 18 months and I haven't spoken to you since you came on board. Give us a sense of the, the sorts of numbers involved. You've got, you got some economic studies there, but what, what are the grades? What do, you, what, do you, what do you know today? Yeah, so we conducted a preliminary economic study about 18 months ago and uh, using a copper price of $3.35 uh, a pound, which is still about 10% below today's current spot price. With an NPV eight after tax of three hundred and twelve million US dollars, and an IRR after tax of thirty three percent, the capex for the project eighteen months ago was relatively low, at only one hundred and twenty four million US dollars. Given that uh, it's a brownfield site and we already have access to some uh, pre existing uh, infrastructure on site. Right, and um, give us a sense of how, like, how, how you're measuring this, because I noticed that you report your figures slightly um, differently compared to you know, some, of your, some of your peers. Um, you're giving a slightly more realistic view of you know, what you can actually get out of the grant. So have you done much work on this? What do you know? Yeah, we've been conducting metallurgical work for the last two years, and obviously the, uh, the column tests are particularly important. So this is a copper porphyry system that consists of an oxide an enriched sulfide, which in this case is a chalcosite and covalite. And then there's a primary sulfide, which we're not currently intending to mine with a heat leach operation. That's uh, chalcopyrite. So the, the metallurgical test work for the oxide reveals a 90% recovery of the copper. And for the enriched material, we're looking at somewhere between a 73 and a 78% depending on which uh, which column we're uh, we're actually considering right and and I don't I don't know the district that well so I mean, have you got many peers um, around you I know you talk about it being so sort of the the conference of three you know copper yeah. districts but what yeah, what, what, what yeah, do you know about the projects located at the intersection of three massive copper porphyry systems i think the closest operations to us would be uh, Taseco and the uh, the Florence operation which is about 40 kilometers to the east, and then 75, 80 kilometers or so to the northeast, we have uh, Capstone Mining, uh, who actually are, are in the district. Right, and obviously you can, you've 
your track well, so far, as far as I, I, I know, um, is about you know turning projects around. This is a was this, would you consider this a, a reboot rather than a, a turnaround situation? Is that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. The mine the mine closed in 1982 when it was owned by Asarco uh, because it was uneconomical at that time. Copper would have been sixty cents a pound of copper, so I, I don't really see this one as a as a turnaround story. It's uh, it's really a, a reboot, as you, you correctly inferred. Right. And so I'm, int- I'm intrigued, though, you know, because um, I think right now it's very sort of di- difficult times. You know, the, 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 the costs are going up. We've seen supply chain issues. We've seen inflation go through the roof. We've seen many companies put out reports where their CapEx figures have kind of got blown out of the water. Um, and others are using that uh, to say, well, actually, maybe we just take a breather here and just move things along a little bit slowly, sort of see if the, the economy recovers, see if the costs do come down whether that be you know, fuel or acids or, or reagents or whatever. Um, how, how are you viewing the environment right now? Well, we're, uh, we're in the midst of uh, conducting a pre-feasibility study, and it would be fair to say that we are seeing uh, inflationary pressures, both in capital costs and uh, some of the uh, operating costs. Uh, however, you know, at only 124 million US dollars in the initial capex within the PEA, I mean, a 50% uplift from that would still only put us in and around 200, 220 million US dollars. So, you know, I still think at the end of the day, when we produce our pre-feasibility study and ultimately bankable, we're still going to be looking at relatively low sums of money uh, when considering, you know, bringing online a, a, a copper mine. The, the other thing that's going to help us here, Matt, as well, is that in the current studies, we have not included Park Salier, which is a large exploration property uh, right next door, which we're currently uh, infill drilling with the, with the goal of bringing it into an indicated resource in the first half of 2023. And I think based on the size of the deposit and the grades, it's going to be extremely accretive for the shareholders of the company. Right. Well, copper projects typically, typically tend to do better when they're scaled up, which then obviously has its own challenges in terms of being able to fund the kind of capex component front ends. But um, the larger boys do tend to like a big project. So, again, I know you're going through the studies and you're trying to understand the economics here, but scale usually for copper is a good thing. Who is the end buyer of this? Are you builders or are we selling? No, I mean, certainly with the skill set that we have within the management, both myself and my management team, we have lots of operations experience of of bringing mines into production and and actually running them cost effectively and profitably for the shareholders. So I think ultimately at this juncture in time, we believe that we would, um, you know, it's more accretive for the shareholders of the company to finance this mine and actually run it and put it into production. Of, of course, over that period of time, if somebody was to raise their hand and uh, offer a very attractive um, you know, offer for the company, well, obviously we have a fiduciary responsibility and, and we would consider that uh, at that juncture in time. I think given that we're in Arizona, you know, 70 plus percent of the copper in Arizona is uh, for uh, US domestic supply. So I think ultimately we believe that uh, this copper will remain within North America, and particularly uh, the United States of America. But what's, what, what, what does it look like for you then if you're going to build this thing? What, in terms of scale, right? So you, you talk about the leachable component, it's certainly on the indicator being, being what is it, 74, 75 
at million tons at point seven two something or other. I think total soluble. But yeah. um, and there's there's a, there's a primary as well component to that was much lower grade or being half half yeah. that grade. What scale do you think you need to get this to? Because so typically under hundred million tons is okay. But you kind of any you know anything north of two hundred is is obviously clearly a lot better. Um, so what are you aiming for? Yeah, I mean ultimately we believe that we can get this operation up to a hundred thousand tons of copper cathode production on an annual basis. The um, the PEA uh, initially started out with twenty eight thousand short tons. We're currently seeing about thirty five thousand short tons in the pre feasibility study. But as I said earlier, that does not include Park Salier. So there's certainly an opportunity with Park Salier coming into the production profile that we could move this up to 50 to potentially 75,000 short tons of annual copper production. I think the other opportunity that we haven't spoken about is really with the primary sulfides. Um, we've recently engaged with Rio Tinto, who are looking to deploy a new technology that which they call Newton. And uh, the Newton technology should allow them to the, see the heat leaching of a primary sulfide, as we said, in this case, calcopyrite. So the physical column tests have just started. It's going to take at least uh, three quarters uh, before we know the results in uh, the second quarter of next year. But if the Newton technology were successful and in the, you know, the initial preliminary modeling, we were seeing 75 to 82% recovery of the copper from the primary sulfide. If that were successful, then we could certainly take this operation upwards towards that 100,000 tonnes of annual uh, copper cathode production. But so has Nathan been working for Rio previously and um, obviously just started with you, but they've, they've been quite successful on some of their tests with their own projects, have they? Yeah, they've, it's it's a subdivision of Rio Tinto that's uh, been experimenting with this technology in-house for the last two to three decades. We're one of uh, the, a few operations in the world that they've actually uh, handpicked to trial this outside of the uh, the real group of companies. So we're extremely excited about that. And uh, recently in May of this year, when we conducted a private placement, uh, Rio Tinto put 10 million US dollars into the company and is currently a 7% shareholder with the right to uh, to follow their money. Right, but they, you're not reliant on the Newton technology working. You're saying if it does, it it, it can enhance things. Um, not to say meaningful, yes, but it exactly. can Yes, exactly. We're things, not right? dependent okay. upon it. I mean, we, we ultimately want to control our own destiny, and I certainly think with the Cactus Mine and with uh, Park Salier, uh, we should be able to produce a very robust pre-feasibility study, despite the inflationary pressures that we're we're seeing today at some juncture in the second half of next year. Right. Okay. And the, and the the equity investment by Rio is is was that related to the Newton technology being used, or is that a completely separate entity? No, it, it it was related. I mean, obviously they they wanted to get a little bit of a a, a toehold in the company. And uh, they'd already conducted the uh, uh, computer modeling on the uh, the various samples which we sent them. And they saw some extremely good results there. So uh, we entered into discussions that if we were going to carry through with the physical test work and commit to a, a one-year exclusivity on the testing of the primary sulfides, 
Um, in lieu of that, um, they would invest uh, the 10 million US dollars. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. No, I just, I just think it's one of those things that kind of uh, everyone's going to keep their eye on. And obviously everyone hopes it will work, but if it doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily affect things. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, mean you're a marginal project without it. It means you're a good project without it, but it could be even better with, with it. It's just we've seen projects like, you know, Chesapeake, you know, buying in technology um, perhaps hasn't quite worked. Haven't been able to prove that it's, it works. Um, fine. Um, enough, enough said of that. With regards to the, the, the team, like, again, obviously I know you. Who else is on the team that we'd, um, we'd understand, uh, so that we'd know and perhaps recognize? Uh, well, uh, my CFO from uh, Rubicon Battle North Gold, uh, Nick Neklokakis, uh, he joined me in January of this year. Uh, he's got almost 30 years of experience in uh, capital markets and financing. Um, so he's going to be extremely important as we, we, we move towards project financing, let's say in 2024. Uh, on the ground in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where we have a small uh, office, we have Ian McMullen. Ian's a mining engineer like myself. He started his career with uh, Newmont. He was the chief operating officer at uh, Klondex several years ago, which I believe ultimately was sold uh, to, to Hecla. And then uh, Rita Adiani is our corporate development, uh, VP of corporate development. Uh, she brings a law degree to the table and also 15 plus years of experience actually in London uh, with uh, capital markets experience. So we've got a very well diversified team that uh, have ran operations in the past and completed financings and put mines into production. So uh, I'm very excited and, and happy that they've, uh, they've joined me on this project. Right, and in terms of the share register itself, I mean, what's the kind of balance between institutional, retail, et cetera? Well, it's, uh, it is certainly very uh, institutional focused. Our largest shareholder would be Tembo Capital. It's a private equity group actually out of London. Uh, they've been heavily invested in the copper space over the last 10 years. Uh, they were initially involved with Aero Copper in the early days, which obviously had been a roaring success there in Brazil. And today they're also heavily invested in, in Maramaca, which is a copper project in Chile. Uh, Pre-IPO, they would have been about a 44% shareholder. We IPO'd this company in November of last year. Uh, they have uh, committed almost $40 million uh, to the company to date. And today they would be a, about a 35% shareholder in the company. So they've supported the company in management by putting their hands in the pocket. But... At the same time, they realise it is important that they be diluted down, and uh, I think ultimately we'd like to see them uh, below uh, 20%. We also talked about Rio Tinto, and then the management of the company controls some 6% of, of the stock. And since joining the company in November, July, sorry, of 2021, I've currently invested 2.8 million Canadian dollars of my own money at a weighted average price of $2.48 Canadian. Okay, you're committed. Um, right, okay, so in, in, in terms, so you've got, how much money have you got in the bank as of last quarter? Uh, we've got 28 million US dollars in the bank. We're currently burning through about uh, 2 million US dollars a month right now. So those monies we estimate will take us through until the second quarter of, of 2023. Okay, and what are you doing with that money? What are you, what are you burning two million on at the moment? 
Uh, well, as we touched on, uh, there's been various engineering studies uh, up to this point in time, but the, the guts of the money is really going into uh, 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 exploration uh, drilling and now Enfel drilling. So exploration drilling at Park Salier, and we just recently announced there that we'd completed a 28-hole program on 500-foot centres, which we're hoping very shortly to convert into a maiden uh, resource estimate for Park Salia, which will be in the inferred category. And uh, several weeks ago, when that drilling uh, finished, we've now started the infill drilling on 250-foot centres, and that'll uh, bring Park Salia into an indicated resource sometime towards the end of the first quarter of 2023, which will then allow us to take that indicated resource and build it into a rescoped PFS in the summer of next year, where, as you know, an indicated resource can move over into uh, probable uh, reserves and therefore the mine plan and the financial and economic model will be hopefully positively impacted by park salier. Right, and uh, again, have you got a target in mind with regards to the maiden resource for salier um, in the sense of you trying to get the scale thing we talked about at the beginning? Yeah, well, well, we estimated and we gave um, some guidance to the market in January of this year when we started that uh, drill program that based on the geophysics and the sonic soil sampling and the size of the signature that we had, we thought that for the um, um, leachable material, which is the oxide in the enriched, we could potentially get up to 2.3 billion pounds of copper in the ground at better than uh, 1%. And the upper limit of the primary sulphide was uh, about 750 uh, million pounds of copper that, that could be upwards of um, you know 0.5 to 0.8%. So in totality combined, we could be looking at something that's around 3 billion pounds of contained copper in the ground to be added to the current 3.3 billion pounds that we have at the cactus mine which is in our current uh, compliant 43-101 resource. Right, okay. Really getting there, okay. And with, and so you'll need to raise money before end of Q, you say Q, Q2, 23, you'd be looking to probably raise more money? Yeah, yeah. The, but the current monies we have in the bank yeah. will take us towards the end of um, the summer Q2, 2023. Right, and was that the opportunity to then kind of change the pro? You talk about, you know, um, diluting timber or di timber allowing themselves to be diluted down to nearer the 20% mark. Um, is that, is that, what, would, how do you, what do you do there? Do you, given the, the scale that you're going, do you go after more institutions? Do you need a bit more liquidity in the stock and perhaps open up to a bit, of, a bit more retail? I mean, how, how do you get that balance think, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we need a little bit more retail in the story. Uh, obviously, we're heavily weighted on the on the institutional side, so that's one of the reasons why, from a marketing perspective, we're paying a little bit more attention now to 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 the retail investors. So, we think over the course of the next year, if we could get more retail into the stock, that'll help with liquidity and should uh, help with the share price. Right, and and what what a retail need to know because it's been a sort of I think twenty twenty one was a good tumultuous year for copper for nickel most most battery metals it's come off a wee bit this this year um, so that the the shares don't you know share price not just you I'm talking everyone don't look so healthy but what's the uh, growth profile for copper look like for retail? Well, the growth profile for copper looks absolutely tremendous. I mean, currently today you know the world is using. 
anywhere between 25 to 30 million tonnes of refined copper on an annual basis. If you think about the whole decarbonisation uh, that's taking place, particularly in the westernised world, uh, there are forecasts that in the next 10 to 15 years, that uh, demand for copper is going to rise to approximately 50 million tonnes of refined copper. And, um, you know, when you look at new discoveries in copper mines, uh, they just aren't taking place. Uh, those mines that have been discovered in the last decade, typically they take anywhere between 10 to 15 years to actually put into commercial production. And of course, normally a copper mine would, would cost billions of dollars, high capex to, to, to put into production. So there's definitely challenges with uh, getting copper mines uh, into production. Uh, so that is really going to limit the, uh, the supply side. So my sort of thesis or thinking on this is that in order to meet some of the demand, really the, uh, the miners that are in production and those that could be you know, close to production really need to be incentivized. And, and the only way to do that is through pricing. So we know that the, the vast majority of copper comes from Chile, it comes from Peru as the number one and two miners in the world. But those are huge open pits that are getting deeper. The costs get higher as, as you go deeper, the grades are getting lower. And uh, in order to keep those mines viable, it really is gonna re require a, a significant increase in the copper price from what we see today. And I think that's the opportunity for long investors, uh, institutional and retail in the copper space. What you've got to do, though, is you've got to really ensure that you pick the winners because there are uh, projects out there which, you know, I would say would be high risk. And I certainly would say, you know, having a copper mine in Arizona with a credible management team with a great track record. The key thing about this project is all of the, the, the min mineralization is on private land. So there's no federal regulators involved. We have a right to take water for the next 50 years. And there's an abundance of water actually sitting uh, about a thousand feet below the bottom of the current open pit in a very strong aquifer. The main power line runs right through uh, the property. So we've got power right there. The city of Casa Grande is only five kilometers to the east and is very supportive of the project with a strong social license and gives us access to 55,000 people in the community. We're 45 miles south of Phoenix, which has a population of four and a half million. And we're 75 miles north of Tucson with a population of well, one million people. If you land at the airport in Phoenix and drive right to the site on Interstate 10, it takes you 55 minutes to get to the mine site. So, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better location when it comes to a mining project, and I certainly feel that we're in the right commodity in the right jurisdiction. Right, I think some great points there, there especially around private land. Can you explain to me, so how does that work? Because again, we get so many companies that come on here and we, we, we hear of issues with um, social license, you know, whether it be First Nations or, you know, local, local towns that do not want mining anywhere near, not in my backyard. We've seen um, sort of civil unrest, South America. We've seen political unrest in South America. We, we were talking before the show started about, you know, the constitution down and, uh, you know, being asked to be changed in Chile and didn't get through, thankfully, but they'll go again. Um, it's, it's a mess out there. And 
we did it. We did a copper show at the beginning of, of the year, and we're seeing you know ten very large development projects being held up for environmental reasons. So there's lots of ways that mining can be very very difficult. So talk to me about the private land component, and talk to me specifically something you said to me twice: social license. Why are those real and not just buzzwords or phrases? Well, um, last year we had a jurisdictional determination survey conducted by the US Army Corps of Engineers, which confirmed that uh, on the property there are no waters of the United States or WOTUS. So that was really the last hurdle for us to ensure that there is no federal regulator uh, involved in this project. So because it's all private land, uh, we only deal with the local state uh, regulators and uh, the local municipality. And in Arizona, when you're dealing with the uh, local state regulator, once you submit an application for a permit, uh, once it is administratively accepted, and it can take weeks or months or quarters to have a permit administratively accepted, but once it's administratively accepted, the regulator must give you a response within six months of that permit being administratively accepted. And typically within that six months, they would hold a 30-day public consultation period. Now, the last permit that we actually acquired was the last permit that will require a 30-day public consultation period. And both ourselves and the regulator received absolutely no negative comments on the project when we made that application. As far as the social license is concerned, in the last 18 months, we've conducted two perception surveys. The first one uh, was with 400 respondents. The last one was with uh, 500 respondents. And in both cases, we received a 82 to an 85% favorable rating to see the mine come back into production. And that was across all demographics as far as um, you know, political parties are concerned, even for uh, Democrats, Democrats uh, within that uh, um, uh, consent of, or within that uh, field, I think it was 67% were in favor of actually seeing the mine uh, coming back into production. And you have to remember the city of Casa Grande is there today because of the original mine that was discovered in the late 1960s and operated all the way through until the 1980s. Obviously, it's diversified uh, since then, but people think back to the sort of glory days of the mine when there were extremely high paying jobs. And uh, certainly they recognize that going forward, we could create uh, a lot of um, high paying jobs and therefore disposable income into, uh, into the community of uh, Casa Grande. Okay, okay. Well, look, um, I think it's just going to first pass on this. It gives us certainly um, a lot of food for thought and perhaps we need to go do a little bit more uh, research um, on the company. Um, great to see you again. Um, before we go, can you just give me sort of just one, I've written down a few notes here. Can you give me sort of the kind of the kind of key moments going forward, certainly in terms of around the economic studies and the, the MRE? What, what, what are the timings on those? Yeah, we're uh, intending to put out a mineral resource estimate on Park Salier uh, at some juncture over the course of the next four to six weeks. Um, we are continuing to do the infill drilling on Park Salier. So we're going to see infill drilling results between now and the end of the first quarter of next year. 
and um, we're planning on mobilizing uh, one of our additional drills in the next uh, several weeks that will go back onto the Cactus Project and we'll continue with the infill drilling there, which essentially is to move indicated resource into the measured category. This is ahead of a bankable feasibility study in uh, towards the back end of 2023, early 2024. Um, we plan on putting out a re-scoped PFS on the project in the summer of 2023 that would incorporate Park Salier, and we believe that will be extremely accretive for the shareholders of the company. And I, I would expect probably sometime before the end of the first quarter next year, we'll give the market some guidance on how the Newton technology is actually performing. Uh, as we said earlier, uh, with the column tests actually now starting up, by that juncture in time, we should have, you know, five to six months of real physical column testing, um, you know, uh, at our disposal that we can actually announce to the market. Okay, George. Well, I appreciate your time giving um, us a run through of that. Um, we'll get back to you, and uh, perhaps we have another chat. I'm, I'm so particularly um, keen to understand the the, 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 the modelling around the drilling and the infill, etc. You know, and, and what that's looking like. Um, so, thanks again. We'll see you soon. Excellent. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate your time. Thank you.